Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and we're talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 81. Actually, that's what we normally do. This is episode 81. It's going to be a special two-part episode. It's our holiday recommendation extravaganza. And boy, do we have extravaganza in store. It is the most extravaganza extravaganza of all time. We've got all time. 18 pages of recommendation requests and we've done our homework and I think we have recommendations for all of them. At least one of us has, has filled something in. So we're going to get through as many of them as we can. Uh, if we don't get to yours by the end, we're so sorry, but we're just trying to cover as many as we can. So they'll be in two parts. So they'll download as separate episodes. Well, can, well should we call them 81 and 82 or what do you think? Yeah, I think we should call them eighty-one, 81 and eighty-two. So I want to get to a hundred. Oh, there you we... go. You don't. You want to, You want credit for that extra episode? Do you? Um, before we get started, you wanted to say something. We have an I announcement. Have, we do. Well, we have an announcement. Um, Book Riot's new store is live. Yes, it and, is. And uh, we've been working on it for a while now, but you can check out store.bookriot.com. Um, if you missed our Read Harder t-shirts or the Read More Books t-shirt or any of the fun uh, promo things that we've done over the last few years that were limited time, all of those t-shirts are available permanently now um, at store.bookriot.com, along with a hoodie that's going to be released um, by the end of Thanksgiving week. So, the first official thing that says Book Riot on it is this hoodie. so I'm, I'm really, I wish I was wearing one right now. They are so snuggly. Um, I cannot wait to just live in my Book Riot hoodie for the remainder of time. Uh, those <laughs> will be going on sale on the morning of Black Friday, um, but they're in the Book Riot store now, so you can take a peek at them, and there's a little button that you can click that will notify you the minute they become available. And also, 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 uh, my baby for this mm-hmm. store launch is the Best of 2014 box. Um, we put our heads together with all of the contributors at Book Riot and figured out four of the best books of the year that flew a little bit under the radar and also that represent what we're about in terms of a variety and diversity of genres, of subject matter, and of authors and of publishers. Um, So you can get this Best of 2014 box contains four of the best books of 2014 and um, four awesome items from out-of-print clothing who are our partners for the Book Riot store um, for $100. There's no repeats if you've done Riot Reads or quarterly boxes. You're not going to get a a duplicate pouch or uh, another copy of something we've already done. So it's right. all new material there. There's plenty of goods, all kinds of stuff. Store.bookrad.com. If you're shopping for someone who's a book lover this holiday season, I humbly suggest you go check it out. I think you'll find something interesting there. So that's the preface. Now let's get down to actual book recommendations. Before we do that, we're going to do our sponsors. Sponsors make the show possible. Our first sponsor is Kobo. This episode is brought to you by Kobo. Kobo has over 4 million ebooks in dozens of categories, from bestsellers to indie breakouts, e magazines, over 100,000 kids' titles, free Kobo apps for all major phone and tablet devices. Read right there, also on your computer. Switch between devices your phone, your computer, your iPad, your uh, Samsung Galaxy, Nexus, anything you need to. You can switch right between, get a free Kobo app for each one. If you're looking for an indie reader, they have a really great lineup of indie readers. Go to Kobo.com to get started. And uh, if you have someone in your life also that cares about independent bookstores and you want to buy them an e-reader or they're looking for an e-reader, this is, might be a good option for them because through Kobo, you can sign your account to be connected to an independent bookstore somewhere in the U.S. and other countries too. I think Canada and Australia, they do mm-hmm. the same thing. Look into it if you're overseas. You know, there's that huge C between here and Canada. Um, and <laughs> you can have a per- percentage of all your Kobo purchases get kicked back to fund that bookstore's, you know, ongoing concern. So that's a really nice feature of Kobo, one of our favorite things about them. They've been really great to us um, in sponsoring the show, um, and we like them over there. So go, go to Kobo.com, see all that they've got, uh, all the ebooks you could want, daily deals, 
um, everything along there. So here we go. All right. Okay. So we're not going to read the whole thing of these recs. We're going to do broad strokes. Yeah, broad strokes, broad strokes here. Um, You take the first. Tell us what the first one is. This is from Emma. And Emma uh, is actually asking for a recommendation for herself. Which we totally approve. Oh, wait, no, sorry. I lied. It's like we're five minutes into this thing and I lied already. Emma is not shopping for herself. This is for her mom. And in the past, Emma has gotten her mom what she calls wife books. The Paris (laughs) wife, the aviator's wife, loving Frank, under the wide and starry sky. Um, I had not thought about the fact that books about being someone famous's wife are a thing, but oh, really? that's totally a thing. Oh, yeah, for sure it is, yeah. Uh, and so Emma's mom likes historical fiction, especially uh, relatively recent past, like the last 200 years or so. But she wants to get her mom something where the lady is notable in her own right and not just because of who she's married to. Um, she prefers a likable main character, didn't like Gone Girl, doesn't want a bonus ripper, is a relatively conservative lady. Mm-hmm. What do you got? Well... Uh, it's not historical, except in terms of that's a real character. But one of my favorite authors is Willa Cather, and one of her underappreciated books, I think, is called *The Song of the Lark*. Um, and it's a, the main character is Thea Cronenberg, who grows up in uh, the late 19th century in a mining town in Colorado called Moonstone. Oh, it's also fictional, and she sort of it's her life's journey from this mining town to be a singer in the big city in Chicago. Um, and she's got to, you know, go make a big leap by herself and live in this little crappy apartment. Yeah. And she's independent minded and she works really hard. Um, and she really, you know, puts it all out there. She's a likable character. It, you know, it was, I guess this was written in the twenties. So it was sort of historical fiction, even the time said about 30 years ago, but now it really feels like a slice of life of this, rural to urban move in the Midwest and this woman's journey through it. So that would be my pick. Publication date 1915. You can also get it real cheap. Uh, <laughs> so it's kind of a flyer there. It's kind of a, a big book. It's a good winter book. Um, really get involved in her story. So that's my pick there. Oh, that's a cather I haven't read before. Yeah, that's what that's that's the that's one. I mean, it's the her Prairie Trilogy is is it's not actually an official thing, but most people consider O Pioneers, then Song of the Lark, then My Antonia. A lot of people read the first and the third, mm-hmm. but skip over this uh, middle one. But I, you know, I, that's my pick there. That sounds great. Uh, my first pick is The Engagements by J. Courtney Sullivan. It came out, I think, last year, so it's in paperback now. It's a really beautiful yeah, summer, I think. Yeah, right. Designed book. Yeah, I think it was last summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and the main character of this book is. Uh, this is a novel, but the main character is the woman who was behind the De Beers' A Diamond is Forever campaign. Oh, yes, right. I remember this now. And yes. uh, if you're not up on your Mad Men, uh, Madison Avenue advertising history, the notion of proposing with a diamond and this being like a life-defining, uh, also love-defining like measure of how much your band cared for you uh, in this diamond wasn't a thing before this De Beers ad campaign. Uh, and it's a woman who created it. Uh, so the story starts in the, I think it's the 1930s, uh, with, uh, with this woman who is experiencing the challenges of being a woman working in advertising at that time. Um, she is single. She loves her career. She's not sure that she's ever going to get married or have children or that she's even interested in doing that. Um, so you get that slice of this notable lady uh, who has to be notable on her own because she doesn't have a husband who is notable. Um, and it fast forwards up through a couple different timelines um, and a couple different narrative perspectives. And all of the characters throughout time are linked by this one ring that sort of passes between families and different diamond customers. Um, And it's also sort of a bigger picture meditation on engagement and the diamond business and marriage and sort of the commoditization of marriage um, in the U.S. But with a really light touch, it's not like a big serious, uh, let's Mm -hmm. talk about how marriage has been commercialized thing. I really, really loved it. Um, Courtney Sullivan is great at rotating narrative perspective. uh, And that's a thing that is one of my kryptonites in fiction. I um, I think you would dig that too. Uh, Also, Euphoria by Lily King, which came out this year and um, received Kirkus's first fiction uh, prize, Mm. um, which was like a $50,000 prize. Nice chunk of change there. Yeah. All the characters are made up in this one. So uh, more fiction than historical, uh, but set, I think, in the 30s. 
And it's about a, a love triangle, essentially, of um, anthropologists who are traveling in, I think, Papua New Guinea. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's married to one of them. She has just broken out in her career and is getting all of the attention, and her husband is struggling with that. Meanwhile, there is another notable anthropologist studying nearby who finds himself drawn to her. Uh, so you get the anthropology stuff, the studying, the hot, sweaty, um, out trying to do the work and also manage your marriage and being a notable lady whose husband is threatened by it. And uh, I thought it was really fantastic. All right. Um, This next one is not our bailiwick, but we got some help. Uh, So I will set you... Oh, no, I'm fast-forwarding. This huge document just got out of control for me a little bit. Oh, no, did it? Yeah, all right. Uh, So this is Julie, and she's looking for a wreck for her mom about angels. Her mom believes in them, uh, though she's not religious, and so she's looking for something about angels. She doesn't want it to be too long, doesn't want it to be horror or anything like that. Um, So we asked, and what did we get? We asked. Um, And she's also looking for something that's available in German, which I wasn't able to confirm for sure. Yeah, you have to do some of your own homework there, Julie. Sorry about that. Uh, So books about angels that are not religious books, it turns out, are a difficult thing. And are like horror, scary. To find, right? There's um, the, when I I asked about it on Twitter, because this is a thing I know nothing about. and everyone quickly recommended This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti, which is about the battle between mm. uh, angels and demons in the Christian revelation kind of setting. Um, but I think that leans, I've read that one, and I think it leans a little horror. Uh, so we have The Promise of an Angel, which is the first book in Ruth Reed's Heaven on Earth series. Um, and these are uh, basically Amish fiction. This is about a young Amish woman who uh, lives with her community and uh, an angelic visitor comes to her um, and it changes her life and it affects her faith. So this is a religious story, um, but no one else in her community believes what she's seeing um, or is willing to stand up for her. Uh, That was recommended. That's the first, I think, in a four-book series. So if your mom liked it, there would be others available. Um, And another that was recommended, and these are from our friend uh, Deborah on Twitter, is called The Guardian Angels Journal by Carolyn Jess Cook. And the idea of this one is that after her death, a woman is sent back to life as her own guardian angel. Um, And it's a novel about fate, free will, regret, and hope. All right, so I hope uh, Julie checked those out, and I hope they're available in German. Good luck to you. <laughs> Good luck. That's a tough one. That was one of the tougher ones we got, so we got, got to get that one out of the yeah, way. Yeah, that was probably the farthest out of my wheelhouse. Um, speaking of your wheelhouse, let's go right into the <laughs> middle of it. Let's just zoom into uh, it. Hi, Jeff and Rebecca. I'm looking for a recommendation for myself. Christmas, my birthday fell very close together, so my family, blah, blah, blah. This year has been the year of women for me. Go, Carrie, go. I read Bad Feminist, The Secret History of Wonder Woman, and Just Bought the Birth of the Pill. All excellent books, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm fairly new to nonfiction, looking for the more history of badass women. Hope you can help. Double exclamation part. Thanks, exclamation point. So we really uh, we really tried to find something. And you did, you did a bang-up job, and I've only got one pick, but you go first. Okay, the first one here, since you're relatively new to reading about badass women, I wanted to wrap a bunch of them together. And so I want to recommend the collection Click When We Knew We Were Feminists by J. Courtney Sullivan and Courtney E. Martin. Uh, that is the same J. Courtney Sullivan from the top of this show who wrote The Engagement. Well, that's her first um, repeat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's, uh, she's also a feminist writer. But this is a collection of essays um, from women. Uh, some of them are prominent feminist activists, and some of them are just normal women who write about their lives. And each one is about the moment or experience that caused them to either be a feminist or to recognize that they were feminists. It's just such a great slice of life. I'm stealing, uh, I'm stealing your phrase now. Oh, um, that's, that's an old, <laughs> I stole that from someone else long ago. Uh, it's, but it is a great, I think, look at the huge variety of ways that women come to feminist identity and the experiences through all throughout our lives that influence that. Um, it's, it's a really great book and one that you'll probably find yourself dipping into and out of. Um, I also really love Full Frontal Feminism by Jessica Valenti. It's a little bit older of a book. I think she wrote it about 10 years ago, but it's a really solid introduction uh, to 
feminism in the, you know, contemporary, like late third, early, maybe fourth wave feminism, if that's a thing that... We're <laughs> sure, why not? Is that a thing now? No one 2.5. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, whatever version this is now, um, Jessica Valenti is phenomenal. It's a great introduction to her work, and you'll probably find yourself uh, digging through the rest of her catalog, but that's fantastic, especially if you were intrigued by some of the like the theory pieces that Roxane Gay touches on in Bad Feminist. Um, Roxane brings such an interesting mix of pop culture and theory, and Valenti um, fleshes out theory a little bit more, so that's, I think, a good next step. Um, if you want some history, Barbara Ehrenreich's For Her Own Good is a totally cuckoo banana pan history of all of the things that were done to women for their own good in medical mm. history in America, primarily America and like, uh, you know, the continent uh, for the last couple hundred years. Uh, and then I have to toss in From Margin to Center by Bell Hooks, which was uh, the first book of feminist theory that uh, that clicked with me um, when I read it in a in a class, and that really defined how I came to understand what feminism is trying to do in culture. Um, it's accessible. It's not a scary um, academic approach to theory. Um, she's all about how you can live into your feminism. Um, and even though it's an older book, I think there are a lot of ways to apply that same, the same thoughts and concepts that she's discussing to the ways that we live now. I've got two, two picks though. This isn't my wheelhouse. I, I sometimes sit out on the lawn of the wheelhouse of this one. Um, the first one is not exactly what you're looking for, but I thought it might be interesting to you. It's I am Malala by Malala Yousafzai. Mm. Um, and she just won the Nobel prize at the tender age of 17. How is that for badass? Um, actually, she might be younger than that. She might be 14. Anyway, she's in her, her mid to late teens. And it's the story, uh, it's her life story to this point. And you'd think, yeah, she's 14, what she can say. But little did you know, um, she she grew up uh, in the Swat Valley of Pakistan. And she started writing for BBC Urdu about her life under a Taliban regime. She used a pen name. Um, she spoke about her family's fight for, you know, her family was part of her fight for getting girls to get be able to educate in their community. Um, this, if you know anything about the Taliban, is not sort of what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And they showed it by um, shooting her in the head. And she was coming back from school one day and she recovered. And she went on to continue her advocacy and continue her work and is maybe the most badass person on the planet, um, as far as I can tell right now. Like, she could only be more badass if she turned into Ms. Marvel. Yeah, right. If she, like, her face turned into a machine gun and just started <laughs> killing people. Um, I don't know if that's the method she would take. No, but I'm saying, like, that's, that's, that's what she could <laughs> do. Maybe she could do it already. She's the badassest um, of badass. It was co-written with Christina Lamb, who is a, a, one of the world's great foreign um, political writers, uh, so that that might be one if you're looking for sort of some inspiration and some uh, outside of our comfort zone. The other one, um, it says you might just be getting into this. Normally, I wouldn't recommend this because it's kind of like if you were an English major and studied feminism all in, in, in college, you probably read this. But A, a Room of One's Own by mm -hmm. Virginia Woolf. Um, it's a it's a short book. It, it, it was um, written out of and from a lecture she gave about what it means and what it takes to be a woman writer, um, especially in her own time. But I think it applies a lot today in slightly different ways. But, you know, how the history of literature is a men's game and she was trying to find her own foothold into it and looking at the library shelves and looking for anyone she could look to um, and writing about the particular difficulty of being a woman in letters, kind of some, something similar Alice Walker would do with Zora Neale Hurston, oh, 50 years or mm -hmm. 40 years later. Um, but it's really accessible. It's meant for a general audience, which when I was 16 and read it was very helpful to me. Um, <laughs> but it still really holds up. And she's such a beautiful writer and adroit thinker that um, it doesn't need to be super technical to be very moving. So those would be my two picks there. Okay. Those are solid picks for Mr. Oh, I just sometimes you. sit on the lawn of the wheelhouse. Well, you know, I try. I do my <laughs> I do my darndest. Um, this next one, we got a couple of, uh, I should have said this at the top, but some of these, um, there's some overlap between some of the requests. So if one of these questions sounds like yours, we may get to yours later, but we didn't want to double up picks, right? So right. this one is about, uh, Dear Jeff Rebecca, uh, looking for a new book for my dad. So we got several of these dad 
science, audiobook, nonfiction, geeky, sci-fi fantasy. Yep. So this is one here. He already loved The Martian, um, and he listened to that audiobook twice, so that's a good sign. He also found The Innovators and really liked that, darn it, because okay. that would have been one of my picks. Yep. Um, found a personal connection to stories just being his career and computers while some of the events were happening. He also recently plowed into the entirety of Jack Reacher series by Lee Child. Okay, so um, you want to go first or you want me to go first? Well, I think I'm on the lawn of the wheelhouse this time. Oh, okay. So I'll should take I go a, first? I mean, yeah, you, uh, you go first. Okay, you take yeah, this yeah. Um, so I had the innovators, so I crossed that out. Um, and I went with Ready Player One by Ernie Klein as my first pick. Um, actually, when Andy Weir was on Reading Lives, he picked out Ready Player One as one of his favorite recent sci-fi books. So that's kind of a – it's not exactly the same. Ready Player One is a story. It's a sort of – intermediate term dystopia mm-hmm. and what's happened is the world is terrible and mostly it's slums where people live in these basically vertical trailer parks and spend most of their waking lives in a virtual world like they strap on this sort of oculus rift looking thing and they, i don't remember the name of the realm i wish i could but and then they live their lives online they go to school online they have all sorts of social lives well the main character is a teenager um, who's living in one of these trailer parks his life isn't great and Basically, the creator of this online world, and there's no real analog in our in our own world, but it'd be like if if Mark Zuckerberg sort of was also Steven Spielberg and Steve Jobs, kind of all the same, crossed with a little bit of Doc Brown from Back to the Future, sort of like this <laughs> this sort of benevolent, zany tech entrepreneur, um, you know, most powerful person in the world. He dies, and his estate and the property from this world and his creation is up for grabs and he creates this super elaborate scavenger hunt in the virtual world. And the book is this kid who is a phenom at the, at the virtual world and all the things that's about it, trying to unravel the puzzle. And it's got a lot of eighties pop culture references, classic sci-fi references. So your dad grew up said around the time of innovator. So if he was fifties and sixties, he grew up around then coming of age. Then, then he's probably in his thirties and forties in the eighties. So he's going to get a lot of these references, especially if he's a technological guy, it's a lot of fun. It's really fast paced. Um, and someday he's going to make a great movie. So that's my first pick. <sighs> that's going to be fun. And my second pick is, Kind of more along the sort of a pop sci history, but it's called Brilliant Blunders from Darwin to Einstein, Colossal Mistakes by Great Scientists that Change Our Understanding of Life in the Universe. So this is a fun read about the mistakes some of the great names that we all know made and how it helped them get to a different place. So it's, you know, if, if your dad knows some of these stories, he probably, the you know, the Darwin story and, and the Beagle and Einstein and a patent clerk and all those sorts of things. But these are the places where they screwed up and it got them to some place pretty interesting. It's a fun read. It's a fast read. I don't know if it's on audio, but if it is on audio, it would make a great audio book because each chapter is pretty self-contained. So you can do it in 30, 40 minutes, something like that. So those are my two picks. Oh, that's by uh, Mario Livio, uh, Livio, I guess. I haven't even thought about how to say that until just this moment. <laughs> so it could be um, a variety of things. But Brilliant Blunders is the name of the book. That sounds awesome. Yes. And it reminded me of a book that I didn't think of when I was making notes for this. So thank you for uh, yes, that. You're welcome. Uh, so I'll recommend Where Good Ideas Come From ah. by Stephen Johnson, uh, or really any of Stephen Johnson's sort of pop uh, science history. I love the way that, that he approaches mm-hmm. um, the history of scientific thought and of innovation. And Where Good Ideas Come From uh, is about what needs to happen in a culture and society or, or a community in order for innovation to occur, for problems to get solved for people to figure out cures to diseases. And he presents this big theory about how that works through the lens of several example, like anecdote examples um, from actual, you know, discoveries that we've made in science and technology. It's really fascinating, but it also will make you think about um, the like the value of bumping your ideas up against ideas of people that you disagree with or f- seeking out opportunities to talk with people that don't do the same kind of work that you do or that don't have the same kinds of interests that you have. So if your dad is, is interested in that kind of thing about how science gets done, how we have these breakthroughs and what makes the sort of the creative juices that lead to that aha moment happen, uh, he'll probably really dig Steven Johnson and where good ideas come from. Um, For the fiction side, I was going to recommend The Word Exchange by Alina Graydon. It came out earlier this year. Um, It's a sort of 
tech punk. What is the word for that? It's not techno punk. It's and it's not cyberpunk. Cyberpunk. I can never remember that word. It's a cyberpunk like dystopian uh, in which in the future, the death of print is almost a reality. And the main character, Anana and her father are working on the final edition of the American dictionary that's ever going to be printed. Mm. Um, And then her father disappears one night and it turns out that he has disappeared into the dictionary uh, like into the files of the <laughs> dictionary okay. so, somehow. Um, and so it's uh, the characters carry around things that are like our phones, but on steroids that are called memes. And so if you're in a conversation and you can't remember a word like cyberpunk, your meme knows what word you're reaching for and suggests it for you. Or if you think of a word, but don't remember the definition, it provides that for you. And uh, so people having to do language on their own, they don't have to do language on their own. They have these things to do it for them. And so this is sort of a um, technology might kill language and society story. But it's a lot of fun. It was one of the big releases of the first part of the year. Um, didn't I, I didn't see a ton of publicity for it. So I would guess that um, it might be a new title mm-hmm. for your dad. And then uh, just an all-time favorite of mine that's nonfiction that sort of, I think, makes an interesting conversation with the word yeah. exchange is Smarter Than You Think by Clive Thompson, which is about how the internet and technology aren't actually the downfall of us, um, but it's a look at how technology and the internet have changed and, in Thompson's argument, improved the ways that we're able to communicate with each other and to you know, collaborate to solve ideas and to innovate in ways that would never have been possible without technology and the internet. Uh, while we were talking, I, I thought of another one. So Ooh. we're just going to do this a little bit. Um, I was re- remembering that um, the innovators uh, was one of the ones that uh, I can't I remember this person's name, but her dad liked the innovators. Um, kind of on the in the same vein is um, Creativity Incorporated by Ed Catmull. It's mm-hmm. not about the development of the computer, but it's the development of digital animation told through the lens of Pixar's growth and you know this the history of that company. So if he's you know if he's already computer and technically inclined. There's a lot of good detail about the early days of the internet, the early days of 3D modeling, um, and how that company became sort of the giant behemoth it is. Uh, it might be my favorite book of 2014. Oh. Um, just because I got a lot out of it, both from sort of a management sort of business point of view and some really good, dishy, interesting history uh, about that. So Creativity Incorporated. I listened to an audiobook. You said your dad liked the innovators in audiobook. It was a great audiobook as well. Hey, Jeff, speaking of speaking audiobooks, of audiobooks, there we go. That's why we're pros. <laughs> this uh, this episode is sponsored by Random House Audiobooks. Uh, so if you are, and Ready Player One is in fact a Random House mm-hmm. audiobook. It is indeed. Uh, if you need more motivation for your workout, if you need something to listen to while you cook whatever complicated thing you're cooking on Thanksgiving morning, <laughs> uh, or, you know, for your next, the big family holidays that this season contains. Um, if you're finishing up a craft project, if you're watching sports, uh, and you just want to watch the sports and not listen to the commentary, of course, if you need something to keep keep you company um, and entertained on your daily commute or while you're walking the dog or running errands or folding laundry or any of those things. Um, we love and recommend audiobooks and you can go to tryaudiobooks.com uh, to see what Random House has to offer. Um, they publish approximately a jillion audiobooks <laughs> and so you'll find information about all of those there. Um, But they also have a cool tool at tryaudiobooks.com that will give you suggestions for what to listen to while you're doing particular activities and also a different tool where you can put in um, how long of an audiobook you're looking for, which I think is really great if you have a road trip of a certain length and you want to match your audiobook to that and it will spit out recommendations for that as well. Um, So go to tryaudiobooks.com. You can get all kinds of information and recommendations about Random House audiobooks and uh, let us know what you what recommendations you get from them. Let us know the wild and wacky uh, ways that you find to listen to audiobooks. We've been getting fun tweets from people <laughs> about mm-hmm. what they do when they listen. Uh, lately, I've been listening while I'm cooking, and that's been fun. Um, yeah. So, and thank you, Random House Audiobooks, thank for sponsoring you, Random the House show. Audio. It's a longtime sponsor. All right, this next one, you got some recommendations first, so I'll read and I'll give okay. mine, then you can do yours. Uh, 
This is for a 10-year-old niece who reads at a 7th to 12th grade level, so considerably above her age. And she's already nearly through the Harry Potter series, which this reader knew immediately to recommend. They're struggling to find this sort of thread the needle of things sophisticated enough to keep her engaged and, you know, pressing and, um, uh, you know, challenging her reading, but not that so mature that's going to freak her out or be inappropriate. So this is a tough one. Um, I'll do mine real quick. Mm -hmm. I think it's a little darker than Harry Potter, though, though not that much, but Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials trilogy is kind of a lot of the same grounds. It's, um, uh, let's see. How do you describe it? Do you have you read these? Do you did you ever read? I read these? the first one. Yeah, the Golden Compass is it's the been first a long one. Time. And um, basically, the the young the character the main character I think is ten or twelve, right? Some, mm-hmm. Somewhere in that age, and um, she's at boarding school. And she, this in this world, basically, each person has their daemon with them. It's a little animal that they don't talk necessarily, but they can communicate. And until you hit puberty, they change shape. So they can go from a It's sort of like you're familiar. Yes, very much so like you're familiar. Um, They can be, you know, until you hit puberty, they they can be virtually any shape, especially as the situation demands. Um, But once you hit puberty, they take, you know, a a final form. Um, The the plot is probably too... (laughs) It's too complicated (laughs) to get into here. But let's just say the, the fate of the world is at stake and this young girl's lineage and mother and father and her own role becomes a globe-trotting, world-spreading, fate-of-the-universe type of story. Um, super imaginative. Um, it's all, it's kind of steampunk in a way. They fly, they can fly on dirigibles oh, and trains, yeah, but there's is. also some magic and um, a little bit of that going on. So I read it actually a few summers ago on the beach as I've been trying to uh, catch up on my middle grade YA classics fantasy stuff, which I liked as a kid, but I got snobby and skipped past a lot of it when I was an early teen um, and coming back and enjoying it now. And that one I really enjoyed. And um, it's kind of like, I'd say on the level of sort of Narnia in terms of content. Um, So a little more, a little darker. It's more like the later Harry Potter Potter Mm -hmm. books, I would say, in terms of tone and subject matter. So if she can handle... You know, half pl- half blood print and Death- Deathly Hollows, which spoiler alert, like people are getting killed and tortured a little bit. Um, there are some darker pieces to this, but uh, that's the one. It's also, you know, it's you can get an omnibus, which is all three books, big, thick, satisfying mm-hmm. winter kid getting lost in it book, or so like a pretty thing. box set. Yeah, or like that if you're one of those yeah. kinds of the, people as a good off, gift. Yeah. yeah, somehow on the off chance, if your niece has not read the Narnia books, that would be. Yes. Like, go there. Buy yes. A, buy Maybe a box we should have started there. The no, even books, The Hobbit. Yeah, I think I the, read that at 10 or 11 mm-hmm. if she hasn't read that. Um, that one would be good as well. Yeah. Yeah, The Hobbit would be would be good. Um, I have, One of my good friends has a 10-year-old daughter, and they're reading the Harry Potter series aloud together at bedtime and have done The Hobbit previously. So I think that is right about that that wow. age where the Hobbit is a, you know, that's an engaging mm-hmm. fun story and you can do voices. And like, I was eight when my dad read me. <laughs> sing the, some elf songs. The Hobbit, right. You sing the elf songs, you do the Bilbo voice. It's, yes. It's good times. Um, so I had to seek recommendations for this. Yeah, this but, is not our wheelhouse, not even the lawn uh, of our wheelhouse. If she hasn't read The Giver, I think The Giver would uh-huh. be a great place to go. Um, that's sort of the first like big YA dystopia, and it came out mm-hmm. when we were kids. Yep. Um, but the main character, Jonas, is 12, um, and this society that he lives in, like the, the weather is always 75 and sunny, everything's controlled. Uh, when you are 12, there's a ceremony that's conducted, and you're given the job that you're going to have for the rest of your life in the ceremony. And it's um, it's determined by the elders who have been studying you and paying attention to your character and to what you're good at and what your weaknesses are. And they've been considering all of these things. Um, so Jonas goes through the ceremony and he has a special role that is a thing that he never knew existed in his community um, that involves taking on knowledge that has been deemed too difficult for the rest of the members of the community to have um, in order to keep things happy and utopian dystopian. I guess it's kind of a utopian story with the dystopia in the background. Like, yeah, you can't it's, like really, a, it's a front stage backstage situation. Yeah, you yeah. can't really tell a utopian story without talking about the dystopian mm-hmm. consequences of it. And I think that's 
basically what the giver, um, what it does. But in the community of people, eventually when you want to be married, you apply for a marriage and you're matched with someone that they think is compatible. And then you apply for children and you're given a child. And uh, it's it, uh, this book just blew my mind open when I was 12. <laughs> um, and if you're an advanced 10-year-old, I think that uh, that, that would be a good read. Um, our colleague, Kelly, uh, Kelly Jensen, who's a fantastic librarian and works with us now at Book Riot, recommended the um, Rick Reardon's Percy Jackson series, which is a sort of contemporary take on mythology. A teenage boy discovers that he is half, he's half descended from mythological gods. Um, our coworker, our, our colleague, uh, Jen Northington recommended the Mail Malloy books. It's M-A-I-L-E-M-E-L-O-Y um, is Mail Malloy, the author. And the first one is called The Apothecary. Um, it's the first in a series, and it's um, about a family in 1952 that moved from L.A. to London. And the 14-year-old meets a mysterious apothecary and his son, uh, who stands up to authority, dreams of becoming a spy. And when the apothecary is kidnapped, the two kids must undercover, must uncover the secrets of this secret, uh, secret and sacred book that the apothecary keeps. Um, that sounds fascinating. I have never read that, but mm. um, comes highly recommended from Jen. Uh, what else? What else? Oh, and Kristen Stickles, uh, who is a contributor at Book Riot and is the children's buyer for a fantastic indie bookstore called yeah, McNally so who Jackson. Knows what she's talking about. Yeah, this yeah. is this is her wheelhouse. Uh, recommended um, books by Kate Milford, um, starting with The Bone Shaker. So that's our collection. Mm -hmm. That's 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 a good basket. Find that is a good basket. There. Yeah. All right. So, oh, Lindsay Ooh, Lawrence. Yeah. Lindsay and Lawrence. Wave the wheat, Lindsay. Um, <laughs> she's looking for a recommendation for her mom. Very busy lady, but recently she told me she'd like to do more reading. So Lindsay wants to help her. Good uh, job, She's Lindsay. got so much going on. I think she needs something fast-paced to keep her interested. She recently read uh, Gone, Bro Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn and loved it. I recommend Flynn's other books and would like to pick up a couple others for her. Both new books and backlist are fair game. This is Shinsky Wheelhouse here, so proceed. It is. So when people say they loved Gone Girl, but they don't, say why yeah um, there are a couple angles to take and so i tried to take both of many of those here <laughs> the first is uh if you like the tense story that uh is an engaging story in its own but that also has some social commentary and a feminist perspective embedded in it which is an inextricable piece of Gone Girl, um, An Untamed State by Roxane Gay is not to be missed. I think it's a not to be missed book, period. Um, one of the best books of 2014, uh, in my opinion. It's about a, a woman who is a Haitian American, and she is visiting her wealthy family back in Haiti, where there is a very stark contrast between the family's wealth and the poverty that surrounds their neighbor the neighborhood that her um, that her parents are near she is kidnapped by people who want to hold her for ransom and her father who is a, a you know, well-known businessman and was targeted for this refuses to pay the ransom on principle so she's held for i think 13 days um mm. all of the i've said this on shows before but all of the terrible things that you think will happen to a woman who's being held by bad men for 13 days happen to her. So that's a trigger warning if that's a thing that you need to know about um, in books that you're purchasing. It's very difficult to read at points, but incredibly paced, incredibly written, and ultimately very hopeful. Um, but Roxane Gay's writing is just so sharp. Um, it's a fantastic novel. Um, for something that's a little closer to noir and thriller, I would go with anything by Megan Abbott. This year, her uh, this year's novel was called The Fever, and it's about a group of girls who come down with really mysterious symptoms. And the people in the town, uh, they're all high schoolers, and the parents think maybe it's the HPV vaccine that they're taking. Maybe one of them is poisoning the other ones. What could be going on? Um, and you just don't know. It's dark and creepy. Um, last year's novel that she wrote, man, now I can't remember the title, is about crazy cheerleaders. Um, and I have never been so glad not to be in high school. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's so good. Megan Abbott is so, so good for that. Um, for something 
with a very sharp social perspective that the voice maybe that's the closest to Amy's voice in Gone Girl, The Woman Upstairs by Claire Messed is phenomenal. Uh, I think The Secret History by Donna Tartt, it's about a group of college students who it, on the opening page tell you that they murdered one of their friends and then it rewinds to show you how that came to be is the perfect uh, like fast-paced unput downable big cold weather novel and if you just want something that's a great read that you won't be able to put down that is not dark the vacationers mm. by emma straub um, about a family that are on a two-week vacation in mallorca spain and you get the parents perspective as they're trying to put their marriage back together their 18 year old daughter's perspective as she just hopes to like meet a boy and lose her virginity on their vacation. Um, some other friends and family members that are visiting and dealing with their own stuff while they're there. I thought it was a really great, smart, uh, what we call the gang gets back together uh, mm -hmm. story. I got one pick that I didn't have one before, but again, as happens when we're listening, um, <laughs> If your mom is getting back into reading, so maybe she's missed like the last five, six, seven years of big mm. books, the the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo yep. by Stieg Larsson. Plucky, well, plucky is way <laughs> underselling it. Michael Bloomquist maybe is plucky, but Elizabeth Salander, um, the badass and terrifying. badass cyberpunk hacker takes no crap sort of character. Um, they get involved. Um, she's kind of a I guess, technological savant, but she has her own past and is on the outskirts of society, um, works in uh, doing basically like low-level PI work for people. Um, and Michael Bloomquist, who is a kind of a social justice reporter, basically gets tasked with, I guess, basically getting uh, a private commission to investigate a family's tragedy from the past. And for whatever, he, he kind of hooks up with her because he likes her research skills um, and things that he can't do. So they sort of pair up to take on this family mystery. And it gets way bigger than anyone thought. It's a trilogy of books. So if she likes the first one, go read the second two. But it was the Page Turner book of what, 2008, I want to say, 2009? Yeah, 2000, 2008, I think. Somewhere in there. The first um, one? Yeah, something like that. And uh, yeah, it, and I I devour it. It's got a lot of weird quirks, kind of like Dan Brown in that way. Like there's like weird <laughs> right. stuff and like, you know, Billy's pizza and it gives like the exact yeah. amount of memory each computer has. You just have to get rid of it. You, you won't notice it. It's such a page turner, gripping, um, interesting stuff. So she likes more of the mystery, tension, foreboding badness part of con girl <laughs> uh that's what other kind of stuff is foreboding not foreboding goodness that certainly. would be such a great shelf talker just mystery <laughs> tension foreboding, foreboding badness. badness yeah <laughs> in norway uh okay hello from georgia oh this is such a oh, cool one this is very cool and thank you so much in advance for trusting us with this no um, kidding i want to your name my sister and i recently met our estranged father Whoa. Um, he left some 25 years ago when we were little girls, so we have almost no memories of him. They're getting a relationship back together. I'm off script here. Mm -hmm. So they've, she and her sister have been sending him stuff they like, music, movies. Yeah. Has been awkward, as you might expect, but has a lot of the same interests. So she doesn't quite want to send her him any of her favorite books yet, which I totally get, I yeah. have to say. Such an so intimate thing. Seems more intimate, not sure, you know, and books are so complicated than in a complicated relationship like this. You know, you can imagine him latching onto some piece of it, it's like this, some sort of message or something like that. So, hoping for recommendations. So, here's what we know she knows about him so far. Um, he likes science fiction movies, think Alien District 9 and Cloverfield. Also, in his heritage, um, his grandparents uh, were Cherokee Choctaw and descendants of the Mayflower, and he. Was a, he's a Vietnam vet, and his grandfather was in World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. Wow, mm -hmm. that's quite a trilogy there. That is there. quite. Um, and he's proud of that. Uh, so asking him to do, asking for uh, recommendations. This is just so cool. Like Very when, cool. When very we, hard for us, but very cool. And we're glad to help there, here if we can. There are so many... I'm ha I have so many feelings about <laughs> this. And just so thank you so much. You know who you are, um, like Jeff said, for trusting us with this, but also for illuminating this piece of the way that we can use books in, in our mm -hmm. lives. I This note really spoke to me about not just not wanting to 
uh, to share your favorite books yet and attach all of the weight that is attached to those, but that we can still use books to start dialogues with people that we want to have understand us in some way and that we want to understand. And um, I was kind of overwhelmed yes. by this Um Okay. So I'll go first because mine's Please a lighter go. pick. Yeah, and I'm this, like getting a little emotional. Yeah, so a little you emotional. Go. <laughs> so this is to the District 9 Cloverfield alien part. Um, and this is the first, and but it, it won't be the only applicable point for The Martian by Andy Weir. We talked about it before. This one is if you want to get it, you know, it's not going to have any sort of, uh, I don't know, undertones or secret messages. It's The Martian by Andy Weir. Basically, it's a, a near future Earth, where we've sent the first manned space mission to Mars, and the the small group gets down to the surface, but something goes wrong. They immediately have to like leave, and they think that one of their I don't know what's peers, I guess mm-hmm. mission compadres. That's probably what they say. <laughs> mission, in that. Compadre. mission compadres. Mission um, compadres. They think he's dead, so they don't. You know, they have to leave him behind because time is of the essence, and things are going badly. Turns out he's not dead, and the rest of the book is him trying to survive long enough for them, for NASA to do something. And I don't think I need to say any more about that. It's so good. So many of us stayed up past our oh, bedtimes reading so it. so much past this, our It became bedtime. this, like, predictable thing at Book Riot for a while earlier this year. Yeah, so that's, it's it's a page-turner. It'll be fun. Um, it's funny. The voice is really funny. Yes, it is funny. It has a light touch to it. Um, Andy Weir himself is kind of a, he is a self-proclaimed nerd and a goofy guy. And it comes out in this particular character's, um, uh, character, uh, this particular character's, um, uh, demeanor. Speaking of, uh, Andy Weir, this other one might be interested in for your dad. It's called Have Space Suit Will Travel, um, by Robert Heinlein. And it's a story, basically this, a guy finds a, a uh, spacesuit. Um, so he wins a contest. I guess he doesn't find it. He wins a contest for a discarded sort of spacesuit. But it turns out that there's more to this spacesuit than, you know, just a discarded piece of equipment. It has its own sort of will. It tells them to do things. And there's a mystery involving it and they go across into space and things happen. Um, Andy Weir said that was one of his favorite books growing up. And one of the things that got him hooked into space and sci-fi and I'd forgotten, I read it a million years ago and it's a lot of fun. So those are my two picks right there. Okay. I took the, um, the piece where I, you see what I did there. Uh huh. I gave you the tough, the tough stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I've, I've recovered from my teariness for a moment. Uh, So I'm all right. Uh, I took the piece where uh, this listener talked about her father um, being a veteran and being proud of his uh, veteran status and also that of his family. And I thought about, uh, well, this is the thing that you and I have both read a lot about and that um, that we both care about. So I think the best war novels uh, that I've read and that um, would be an excellent gift for someone, but would also give you a lot to talk about and to chew on with someone um, being about war, but also about just big life things. Uh, The first is Matterhorn by Carl Marlantes. Um, It's a novel of the Vietnam War. It was 30 years in the making. He wrote it first, like right after the war and couldn't sell it. And so then uh, was trying to sell it in the late 70s, early 80s and was told like, this is great, but just change the setting to this place where we're currently fighting a war so that people will recognize it. And he didn't want to do that. And the same thing happened in the 90s. And he just stuck with it, writing and rewriting the book and trying to make it great um, and won a, a small contest a few years ago and was picked up by um, then by Grove Atlanta and was then named as one of the big books of the year by a great um, book. By, it's a great it's, book. It is a big book. Mm-hmm. Um, it is so worth it, but it's, um, it's about this core of young men. Um, it's such a reminder how young these people are when mm. they go off um, to, to fight wars for us. Um, it's, it's a, you know, they're trudging through the jungle and their socks are soggy and they <laughs> watch their, um, when Carl talks about writing the book, he's like, you know, when you're coming out of the war, you write 45 pages about soggy socks because that's the thing that matters. But then yes. you realize that, uh, that a reader doesn't want to read 45 pages about <laughs> soggy socks. And so that's what editing does. But, uh, they're, they're trudging through the jungle. They are watching their friends die. They are fighting to keep their friends safe and watching their friends 
fight to keep them safe. Um, there's a look at racial tension um, in the war that you're you're fighting alongside um, people from different backgrounds than you and you have to reconcile whatever biases you came into this war with with the fact that these are the people now um, on you know, whose life the people you depend on for your life um, it's just so it's just so good it does all the things that a war novel should do um, if you want to go for something that is a little shorter but equally um, packs an equally powerful punch. The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien um, is a collection of short stories that are linked um, about Tim O'Brien's, basically about Tim O'Brien's experiences in the Vietnam War. And there's wonderful stuff there too about what it means to be a writer and um, the function of writing to like to using fiction to tell the truth in ways that we sometimes can't tell the truth if we're just trying to speak from experience. I just love these books. They mean so much. And um, I think that your father would find interesting and, you know, important things to chew on in mm -hmm. them as well. And man, I don't know if you want to shoot an arrow into life and the universe and meaning, maybe The Sparrow by Mary Doria mm -hmm. Russell. Um, a group of scientists and religious figures go off into outer space because the Jesuits have detected music coming from another planet and they want to find out who's out there making it. Uh, so these people get there and they discover the other beings and learn about them and some amazing things happen and some terrible things happen. Um, and it's this uh, really beautiful, powerful story that's also a question of what it is to have faith, um, what it is to be a believer in something, uh, and sort of the particulars of that experience. It's one of my all-time favorite novels. Uh, you could have such a conversation about it, but that would be a really intimate conversation. So mm -hmm. that's a that's a real yeah. So we kind of gave yourself. you kind of a few levels. There's <laughs> yeah. the Martian. Have space. You will travel. That's. I know you're into this. I think you might like this. There, you know, enjoy. Mm -hmm. There's the. Here's something I know you're interested in, something that means something to you. Here's something to deal with in a complicated way. And then the top level one of the sparrow is like the life universe and everything. Mm -hmm. And blah, you know, that sort of, <laughs> you know, there's a lot there. So maybe over the course of time, those are our picks. Thank you so much for writing in. I think that's part one. That is part one. That's I don't, part one. I just can't think of a better point to end on. No, maybe we should end the whole thing with that. But you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like in a musical where they end on a big note, big emotional note right before intermission. Yes. And then you kind of, you kind of cool it off again and then ramp it back up. So I guess we'll do sort of our standard abbreviated outro. You can find us on Twitter at book riot. Um, I'm at the Jeff O'Neill. She's at the Rebecca Shinsky and show notes. We're going to do, we'll list all of these and I don't know how I'm going to do this. Uh, I'm not going to put the, uh, the specific questions. Maybe I'll group them somehow. I don't know, but there'll be some sort of post. Yeah. I went back last year and it's just a link of the title. <laughs> just a link of the titles. Maybe that'll be enough to jog your memory. Um, if you, you heard something you, you or... want to check out. Um, but you can go to bookride.com slash podcast for that. You can shoot us an email. Um, podcast at bookwright.com. We've got a comment, a question, clarification. We goof something up. You want to follow up. Or if you're like, like, what's that? that one about the space suit? Just tweet us. We'll just, yeah, you. just tweet us. That's probably the easiest way there. And uh, we're going to, you're going to download another episode. You're going to flip over, but we're going to take a quick break. We're going to regroup and we'll talk to you real soon. <laughs>